Hello, friends, and welcome to the Thinking to Believe podcast, a place where we like to say thinking is believing. And if you haven't caught on yet to what that means, it's a play on seeing is believing. Here, we don't think seeing is believing, rather thinking is believing. Well, we are now on episode six of my series on abortion. And I think I estimated this might be eight to 10 episodes, and it's probably going to end up being uh, even more episodes than I had originally anticipated. And that's fine with me, and hopefully it's fine with you. In fact, I think one of the advantages of my podcast and the format in which I do my podcast is that we can go in depth on a topic. Most other podcasts, you know, they might take one episode to deal with a topic and they move on to another topic the next episode, and that's fine. Um, in fact, I know some people don't like to go in depth. They want to have everything in a single episode. And that's why on topics like abortion, where I'm going into a lot of depth, I have created a single episode where you can kind of get the gist of the argument um, without having to listen to all of the other podcasts. Uh, but if you are interested in going in depth and you don't want to just have the surface level information, then that's, this podcast is for you. And that's what we're doing here on the abortion issue. But before I get back into the abortion issue, let me just say a word about financial support. I'm really hoping that you would consider becoming a monthly supporter of this podcast. I like to say that I'm not in this for the money, but I do need money to be in this. Meaning, my purpose is not to get rich off of this podcast, but at the same time, in order to be successful in doing this podcast, I do need some money. Money makes things happen. And I have a vision for where this podcast is going to go, but I'm never going to get there unless I have your help getting there. For full disclosure, right now, I am working two full-time jobs. So I'm working seven days a week, 80 hours a week. I am a very, very, very busy man. So trying to launch a podcast while working that much and having a family is very difficult. And the way I've chosen to start off is to focus on topics that I know very well, topics I've done a lot of study on in the past and have taught on many times and written on many times. And I'm repurposing that content for this podcast. Of course, even that takes time uh, to do, but it takes a lot less time than studying new topics to provide you know, material on things I've never taught on before. And ultimately, that's where I want to go with this. I don't want to just be talking about the things I, I already know a lot about, but I want to be doing study on topics that I'm not as familiar with that are important to you so that I can convey that information via this podcast. It takes time to study. And in order to have the time to study, I can't be working so much. So I need your support so I can lessen my work schedule to devote more time to studying, devote more time to writing on the Thinking to Believe blog, um, recording more episodes. You know, right now I'm doing one or two episodes a week, but I would like, you know, eventually if I can get to three episodes, four or five episodes, that would be great. Also, as this ministry grows, there's going to be a lot more emails I'm receiving, comments on the Thinking to Believe 
Facebook page, comments on the blog. And if I want to be able to interact with those, I have to have the time to do so. Now, I've had some supporters who have helped me get to this place. I couldn't have launched this podcast without support. And one particular individual I would like to call out, I will not say your last name, but Michael, thank you so much for the support that you have given me over the years. And I just want to let you know that you were instrumental in me being able to launch this podcast. But I need other Michaels um, in order to further this ministry and to be able to grow this podcast. You know, eventually I want to be able to turn this into a video podcast. But to do that, I need money to buy cameras and to build a studio where you have soundproofing and and a nice background to look at. Um, eventually I'd like to you know do a website dedicated to thinking to believe add staff. Uh, but all that takes money. That's long-term. But if you would be so kind, if you believe in this ministry and you'd like to make this podcast a success, then please, I ask you to consider donating, uh, supporting this ministry. You can do so by going to thinkingtobelieve.com slash donate, thinkingtobelieve.com slash donate. If you only want to give a one-time gift, I'll happily accept that, Um, but I do really need that ongoing support. So if you would consider being an ongoing monthly supporter of the ministry, uh, I do thank you in advance for doing that. All right, with that, let me get on to uh, abortion. In the last episode, I noted that there were four important questions in the abortion debate. What is the unborn How do we treat the unborn? Is the unborn valuable? And then how ought the government to weigh in on that issue? So there are factual uh, questions. There are moral questions, philosophical questions, and political questions that are involved in this debate. And I ultimately boiled down um, what the pro-life answer is to those questions and what the pro-life view is in a nutshell. And I said it's a scientific fact that a new human being comes into existence at fertilization, and it's a moral fact that it is wrong to intentionally take the life of any innocent human being. And because abortion takes the life of an innocent human being, therefore abortion is wrong. And that formed the basis of the argument that I gave against abortion and for the pro-life point of view. And the argument was that premise one, it is wrong to take the life of an innocent human being. Premise two, abortion takes the life of an innocent human being. Therefore, abortion is wrong. The first premise is a moral premise. It's about what is morally right and wrong. The second premise is a factual premise. And I said that most people who are going to disagree with the conclusion are going to find fault with the second premise, the factual premise that abortion takes the life of an innocent human being. Now, what they take exception with is the idea that the unborn are human, and they'll make the claim that no, the unborn are not human beings. And so that's where we began to focus our attention last week is looking at whether or not the unborn are human, and that's where science comes into play. This is a factual question. When does human life begin? The idea that nobody knows, that's just flat out wrong. And I showed how scientists, 
specifically embryologists, those who study the development of organisms and human embryologists who study the development of human beings, they all know that the unborn are humans from the moment of conception. And I began last week going through various uh, sources, embryology textbooks that uh, make this point and make it very clear. So what I'm going to do today, I'm going to round out this discussion on what the science has to say about the unborn um, by continuing to quote these scientific authorities on this issue and showing how all of them agree that human beings come into being at conception. Once I finish doing some additional quotes today, I'm going to you know look at some more sources. After that, we're going to look into why it is that scientists say this. Why do they uh, affirm that a human being comes into existence at fertilization? So let's continue on then first with quotes from scientific authorities who have knowledge of human development and see what they say about when a human being comes into existence. All right, we have here Keith Moore in the book Essentials of Human Embryology. And Moore says, fertilization is a sequence of events that begins with the contact of a sperm with the secondary oocyte and ends with the fusion of their pronuclei and the mingling of their chromosomes to form a new cell. This fertilized ovum known as a zygote, is a large diploid cell that is the beginning or primordium of a human being. So where do human beings begin? At the zygote stage. And remember, a zygote is the stage where it doesn't last long because it's, it's the one-celled stage. As soon as the one cell splits into two, then it enters what we call the embryonic stage. But he says the human being comes into existence at the zygote stage, the first initial cell of the human being. Dr. Bradley Patton's textbook, Human Embryology, states this, it is the penetration of the ovum by a spermatozoan and the resultant mingling of the nuclear material that each brings to the union that marks the initiation of the life of a new individual. So what the result is of this mingling of the sperm and the egg is not part of the mother's body. It is not um, just some tissue, but rather it's the mark of a new individual. Bruce Carlson, in the book Patton's Foundation of Embryology, says, Almost all higher animals start their lives from a single cell, the fertilized ovum. The time of fertilization represents the starting point in the life history or ontogeny of the individual. So again, when do we start? When do we come into existence as a human being, as an individual? At fertilization or conception. I use those terms interchangeably. Jan Langman in Medical embryology says the development of a human being begins with fertilization, a process by which two highly specialized cells, the spermatozoan from the male and the oocyte from the female, unite to give rise to a new organism, the zygote. There's also a series of quotes from medical professionals uh, back in 1981 
there was geneticists and biologists who appeared before a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee. Specifically, this happened on April 23rd and April 24th, 1981. And the question was, when does life begin? And so here's just a sampling of what some of the individuals who testified there had to say about this question. So you have Professor uh, Micheline Matthews-Roth of Harvard University Medical School said, it is incorrect to say that the biological data cannot be decisive. It is scientifically correct to say that an individual human life begins at conception when the egg and sperm join to form the zygote and that this developing human always is a member of our species in all its stages of life, in all stages of its life. Dr. uh, Jerome Lejeune, he's a professor of genetics at the University of Descartes in uh, Paris, and he says, to accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. It is plain experimental evidence. And then he added, each individual has a very neat beginning at conception. Dr. Watson Bowes of the University of Colorado Medical School says, the beginning of a single human life is from a biological point of view, a simple and straightforward matter. The beginning is conception. This straightforward biological fact should not be distorted to serve sociological, political, or economic goals. And ultimately, the Senate subcommittee that had these geneticists and biologists testify, they concluded, here was their conclusion, that, quote, physicians, biologists, and other scientists agree that conception marks the beginning of the life of a human being, a being that is alive and is a member of the human species. There is overwhelming agreement on this point in countless medical, biological, and scientific writings. So that was their conclusion. And notice the timing of this. This is 1981. This is not like this is some new revelation that we've had. In fact, we knew long before 1981. We knew before Roe versus Wade was decided that a human being begins at conception. So this is not some new scientific finding. This is something that we have known for a very long time. But unfortunately, the left, which often claims to believe in science and be the the pro-science group, they deny the science when it comes to this. Again, not every pro-abortion supporter denies the science. As I'll, we'll discuss uh, in an upcoming episode, there are those who will admit that the unborn is a human being, and yet they still think that abortion should be uh, legal and moral. All right, let's look at some other sources here. We'll just go through maybe four or five more. Dr. Morris Krager says, all organisms, however large and complex they might be, as full-grown, begin life as a single cell. This is true for the human being, for instance, who begins life as a fertilized ovum. So humans, when do they begin? Human beings start as a fertilized ovum, which is the one-celled zygote stage. Leslie Brainerd Arey, that's A-R-E-Y, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, in a book called Developmental Anatomy, says this, the formation, maturation, and meeting of a male and female sex cell are all preliminary to their actual union into a combined cell or zygote, which definitely marks the beginning of a new individual. G.A. Thibodeau, 
and C.P. Anthony in Structure and Function of the Body say, genetically, the zygote is complete. It represents a new single-celled individual. Scar, Weinberg, and Levine in their book, Understanding Development, say the development of a new human being begins when a male sperm, this is the development of a new human being, it begins when a male sperm pierces the cell membrane of a female's ovum or egg. The villi become the placenta, which will nourish the developing infant for the next eight and a half months. So the human being begins again at fertilization. Uh, Jay Clark, in, who's the editor of a book called The Nervous System, Circuits of Communication in the Human Body. This is what's written here. Each human life begins as a combination of two cells, a female ovum and a much smaller male sperm. This tiny unit, no bigger than a period on this page, contains all the information needed to enable it to grow into the complex structure of the human body. The mother has only to provide nutrition and protection. So there are other quotes I could give, but I think these are some of the most compelling and straightforward. There's no question biologically. It is a fact that is not even debatable at this point. It is an established and a long established fact that the unborn are human beings from the moment of conception. Now, having looked at all these scientific authorities Now I want to get into why is it that they say these things? Because it would just be a fallacy if I cite authorities. You know, they often say for every PhD, there's an equal and opposite PhD, meaning um, you can always find some authority who will say one thing, but there's some other authority who will contradict them. So ultimately, it's not just a matter of appealing to competent authorities, but to know why it is that the authorities are claiming what they're claiming. So why is it that biologists and geneticists, embryologists agree that human life begins at fertilization? What's the scientific basis? Well, there's two scientific principles that make the humanity of the unborn clear. The first principle is the law of biogenesis, and the second is genetics. So let's look at the law of biogenesis first. This law is quite simple. It just holds that life only comes from life. You can't get something living from something non-living. And every living thing will reproduce after its own kind. So, you know, we know the unborn has being. The question is, what kind of being does it have? Well, the law of biogenesis would say Well, the being that it has is the same being as its parents' being. What kind of being does the parents have? Well, in the case of humans, the parent of the developing embryo or the zygote, the parent is a human being. Therefore, the offspring is a human being. I mean, think about this. We aren't nothing that later becomes something. Every living thing that exists, exists as a particular kind of being when it comes into being. So if we're human now, we've always been human. And when we were in the womb, since our parents were human, that by definition makes us human. So uh, to determine what kind of being the unborn is, we just look at the parents. 
and that tells us right away. And this is just common sense. I mean, when a woman is pregnant and she says she doesn't know what the child's going to be, we know that she's referring to the sex of the child. She's not referring to the species of the child. She's not wondering whether it's going to be a human or a cat or a dog. Um, she's meaning, is it going to be a male or a female? Greg Kokel likes to say when someone has five kids, uh, they don't say to themselves, wow, we've had five humans in a row. What are the chances of that? Um, it's obvious when you are pregnant what you are carrying. You are carrying a human being. So the law of biogenesis makes it clear that the unborn are human beings. What about genetics? Remember, it was Peter Singer in our last episode who he said, yeah, we know what the unborn are. You just look at their chromosomes. Genetics reveals to us what kind of a being something is. You could take a zygote of any species, send it to a lab, and the scientist could tell you what species it is, because we know from the moment of conception what kind of a being something is, simply by looking at the genetic code. The genetic fingerprint of a zygote is distinctly human. It has human DNA, 46 chromosomes. Therefore, it is necessarily a human being. And importantly, the DNA that the developing embryo has is distinct from its mother's DNA. It's not the same DNA. That means that this is a separate being. This is not part of her body. All the cells in her body have the same DNA. But this zygote in her body has different DNA. It is not part of the mother's body. It is a separate organism. Scott Klusendorf sums up the scientific data by saying this, what the facts of science make clear is that from the earliest stages of development, the unborn are distinct, living, and whole human beings. True, they have yet to grow and mature, but they are whole human beings nonetheless. In other words, everything a human being needs to develop itself towards maturity it's all there from the very moment of conception. A human being comes in to being at the moment of conception. And all that needs to happen from there is simply for it to develop and mature according to the kind of thing that it already is. Often in this debate over abortion, pro-lifers had made it a big deal about, you know, the heartbeat. You know, you'll see signs saying abortion always stops a heartbeat. Uh, or some others have made a big deal about when is it that the unborn feels pain? And I think those are relevant. I mean, if you could demonstrate that the unborn feels pain, only a monster would say it's okay to go in and chop that baby to pieces. Um, and I understand that when you talk about heartbeats, people have a, uh, they, they connect, you know, with a beating heart, like, oh, it's alive. So I understand the emotional appeal. But when it comes to deciding what a human being is, Human beings are not determined by whether they have a heartbeat or whether uh, they can feel pain. Somebody who is unconscious, they're in a coma, they can't feel pain, but they're still a human being. And since we know that human beings come into uh, existence at fertilization, then the heartbeat is also irrelevant. We don't use these things to determine when a human being comes into existence. Science is clear that a human comes into existence at fertilization. So that means then 
that the second premise of our argument is firmly established by science. The unborn are human beings. Well, that's a wrap for the scientific evidence. Next time, we'll pick up looking at the philosophical evidence and how this evidence also demonstrates the humanity of the unborn as well as the moral value of the unborn. To read my latest thoughts, visit the Thinking to Believe blog at thinkingtobelieve.com. Or if you'd like to comment on today's podcast, you can do so at the Thinking to Believe Facebook page. You can also send me any questions you might have at thinkingtobelieve at gmail.com. Until next time, keep thinking to believe.